A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Four years ago, my guest on today's episode started an anonymous Instagram page called My Frugal Year in an attempt to hold herself to account. 25k of credit card debt, 2k overdraft, zero accessible savings was how she summed up the challenge ahead of her. Most of this was going on completely behind closed doors and I actually wasn't even really adding up the numbers myself by the time I hit a bit of a breaking point. It was just about getting from one day to the next. Her frank, confessional posts about turning around her problematic relationship with money have brought her tens of thousands of followers. I found it really helpful to publicly talk about how it's absolutely fine to find yourself in a mess and it's fine if you've created the mess. It can be cleaned up and you can clean it up. Claire Seal revealed her true identity when she wrote a book about her experiences. And while she's managed to clear her credit card debts, she now faces another looming financial challenge. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. In this episode of Money Clinic, Claire Seal, the serial borrower turned financial coach and mum of three, will share her story of how she tackled a mountain of credit card debt, as well as offering practical tips on how to start repaying debt and cut spending. Frankly, even if you're not in debt, Claire's insights on developing a compassionate approach towards your finances are universally applicable and may come in handy on a rainy day. Finally, financial problems can and do have a serious impact on our mental health and be aware that this episode contains a mention of suicide. If you need to speak to someone about how your debts are affecting your life, we flagged sources of help in today's show notes. It's going to get very confusing indeed as my studio guest today is none other than Claire Seal, the author and content creator better known online as My Frugal Year. Welcome, Claire. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's our absolute pleasure because the reason we wanted to get you on the show is because people who follow you on social media really value your relatable and often quite therapeutic messages about money. There's also a huge amount of secrecy and shame about money problems. But through your social media account, you've managed to provide a space where lots of like-minded people can connect with you. And one of the messages that you say you've received time and time and again from people who follow you is, 
I thought it was just me, which is really quite harrowing. Yeah, well, and I really thought it was just me as well, because people aren't open about this. And that's not a surprise. One of the things that I say quite frequently is that the shame that surrounds money actually is very much mirrored by a lot of quite vocal judgment around money, you know, and I think we're moving in the right direction, but people still aren't really afraid to say what they think about the way that someone else manages their money. Well, let's start by talking about how your own debts built up all those years ago. What was going on in your life at the time to get to 25k credit card debt, 2k overdraft? You know, sometimes when you're travelling to work and your mind is very occupied and you're like quite tired. Always. And you you get to work and you don't remember any details about the journey. Like you don't remember tapping your Apple Pay. You don't remember getting on or off the tube. You don't remember getting in the car or what the traffic was like. And that's a bit what it was like. I graduated from university. I was working quite a low paid job in hospitality and I was unexpectedly pregnant at 24. My husband was 23. Um, and we made our best go at it. But I was totally unprepared for the fact that childcare costs were going to eat up my whole like quite meagre salary. I never even considered not working. I was working sort of incredibly hard and also looking after a baby. And I think for me at the time, it felt like, oh, this is such hard work that I must have some (laughs) disposable income. Mm. And in actual fact, it wasn't the case. And I was really naive to the fact that in those situations, lots of people have family help. But, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, And a lot of the actual kind of bulk of the debt came from our wedding. We had booked the place, we paid all the deposits. And then my husband was working in hospitality as well. He was hit by like recurrent job losses when a restaurant wasn't doing so well. It's a really tough industry. And so we were in this position where do we lose everything that we've put down already or do we borrow and then hope to catch up? And we chose to do the latter. We didn't have like a flashy wedding, but all weddings are really expensive. But also borrowing money is scarily easy to do. So easy. And there's one line from your book, I absorbed the extra £2,000 of my overdraft into my ideas about how much money I had to spend. One thing that I'm really grateful for is that by now pay later was not around when mm. I was, you know, having that period of my life because I think I managed to overcomplicate things massively with an overdraft and I think up to like six different credit cards just where I was like panicking and like having to take out another and another because things were due and then it's fairly common knowledge but wasn't necessarily to me then of how easy it is to get in over your head and then how difficult it is to get out. So most of this was going on completely behind closed doors and I actually wasn't even really adding up the numbers myself by the time I hit a bit of a breaking point. Of It was just about getting from one day to the next and if like a direct debit didn't bounce then it was a good day, you know, and I definitely didn't feel like I could talk to anybody else about mm. it. So Claire, when you made that decision 
to make your debt spreadsheet, you shared some of the details on my frugal year, which then was an anonymous Instagram account. But then by the summer of 2020, you decided that you were going to go public and put a face to that account. Why did you decide that? And do you ever regret doing it? I don't regret it. It's been tough. I think that the social media landscape has only got harder for people with a platform in the last few years. There's a lot of noise. It also meant that I had to speak to people that I knew. So I, you know, had to sort of prepare some friends and family. In actual fact, the first kind of reveal that I did was an article with Grazia. I think that it was necessary. I think that at some point the message of we all need to stop being so ashamed about our money mistakes stops ringing true if you're still not Mm. willing to sort of talk about it with your own face and your own voice. So that was quite a big motivation behind it. Um, When when you told your friends and family, I've got more than £20,000 worth of credit card debt and I've started this hugely popular Instagram account talking about it. I mean, how how did they react? Uh, Mixed, I would say. A mixed reaction. I think it was strange. And my experience was quite unique, though, because I think that most people revealing like a big financial secret like that don't also have the offset of, look how cool this is. I'm in Grazia <laughs> magazine. So I think a big thing was because I had already done so much work on trying to fix the problem. And I'd I'd been talking about it even just anonymously for such a long time. I'd developed quite a good language for talking about it. Some people in my family still haven't spoken to them sort of directly in detail about it. You know, the word just sort of got out through the family. With my friends, like, it did cause a couple of ripples and in actual fact now it does feel a bit like there's a lot more openness in our group to talk about money I've found out various financial mistakes that my Mm. friends have made that I never knew about before it's made it easier for us to say actually I can't afford that right now so I think overall the effect's been positive um yeah it's never easy to be the one to put your head above the parapet Your posts have helped so many people address and reframe their feelings about indebtedness. But what advice would you give to anyone listening who knows that deep down they have also got a problem they need to face up to? It's it's really, really tough. I would say the first thing to do is to try and find a good time to arm yourself with all of the information because the chances are... If you're feeling that anxious about debts that you've got, you potentially don't know or haven't really kept track of how much and what the interest rates and all of that stuff is. I found it really helpful to make that a bit of a fact-finding mission for myself. So um, to get it all down into a spreadsheet. Weirdly, once it was in an external vessel, it stopped being so frightening to me. It was containable. Yeah, exactly. And I really encourage anyone feeling where their debt or their money worries are having a real impact on their mental health and on their self-esteem, which definitely it was for me. I mean, I was a nervous wreck. Mm. You have to be really careful. And especially 
with the link between debt and very severe mental health problems and suicide rates we have to be like careful that we encourage self-compassion within people I'd really encourage anyone who's having that degree of kind of stress or distress about their money to try and make like a small shift in your language so I stopped talking about being in debt and I started talking about having debt and it just was enough of a shift for me to start seeing it as a problem that needed to be solved rather than some kind of like damning indictment on me and everything about my life and something that was going to define the rest of my life forever and something that was going to be like a shadow over all of the good experiences that I was going to have. Because I think certainly for me like my brain responds much better to a problem that needs to be solved than it does to feelings of despair and I'm a terrible person and I'm so ashamed to be in this position. I think one of the things that I'm always quite keen on stressing is that all of the practical help is so so necessary but if you can't bring yourself to access it then you're not going to get anywhere. I I think it's really helpful in actual fact to publicly talk about how it's absolutely fine to find yourself in a mess and um, it's fine if you've created the mess. It it can be cleaned up and you you can clean it up. Mm. Well, you frequently give advice and opinions about things on your Instagram account that people perhaps wouldn't expect. I mean, I love your posts that start, whisper it, (laughs) for example, and also your views recently on no spend challenges, because Instagram is a great place for those, isn't it? Lots of people will jump on a bandwagon of a particular thing, but actually you said no spend challenges. There can be much more to this than the internet would have you believe. Yeah, I think no spend challenges are really interesting. They seem to work quite well for some people because we really like hard and fast rules. And money is one of the places where it's easy to implement those hard and fast rules and to feel in control. But I think that if you're not careful, that kind of getting stuck in a cycle of like really depriving yourself and then you know the kind of desire to spend building up and building up to the point that you fall off the bandwagon I think you can get yourself locked in like a binge purge cycle quite easily and you have to be really careful and I would say I wrote about it a little bit in the book but I struggled massively with disordered eating throughout my teens and early 20s really until I had my first son and those cycles of kind of deprivation and then overindulgence in my relationship with food have really been mirrored in my relationship with money so I think if you're someone who falls into those patterns easily I would recommend maybe being a little bit careful with um, no spend challenges but there are loads I mean Overall, I think social media is a really positive place mm. for money. Um, I agree. The the recent loud budgeting trend on TikTok, I really enjoy because it is bringing that kind of willingness to talk about the imperfections in your um, in your relationship with money and, and trying to bust some myths around. You know, on the one end of the spectrum, we've got being profligate or 
for spending frivolously or overspending, which is really demonised, but then also really demonises being like tight or watching the pennies too much. And it's really hard to fall in the right place on that spectrum. So stuff like the loud budgeting trend where people talk about how they're saving money and what they're spending, I think is helpful to everyone. You just have to be careful in the comments section, mm. <laughs> especially on TikTok. I'm talking about the practical tips that you'd give people. Obviously, we've got a long list in today's show notes of debt charities Mm -hmm. that people can turn to for help. Very telling statistic, of course, that people often don't think that their problem is bad enough to ask a debt charity for help. But intriguingly, you didn't go down that step, even though really £25,000 worth of credit card debt, even if you had less debt that you were struggling they absolutely would have would have taken your your call yeah they would have and actually some charities have a really great online tool that you can kind of plug all of your numbers and your circumstances into and they might make a suggestion of what the best route is for you I think we were maybe six months away from that being our only option and I I don't I don't know. I feel so much more compassion towards myself at that time now, you know, five years later than I did at least initially. I felt like I don't want this to be easy. I want this to feel like a punishment. And it wasn't till a little bit later that I worked out that that wasn't necessarily mm. the right mindset to go into it with. But honestly, even if you're not going to go into formal debt management, it's really, really worth having a chat with someone apart from anything else you know I've met a few people who um, work for Step Change and they are just so happy to listen they are so full of solutions so full of like compassion and kindness that and not judgmental no not at all and I think it's a bit like going to I mean I I would say this about people who work for like your bank or your lender as well it's like they're also human beings And, you know, probably talk to people in this position all the time. It's like going to your GP with like a really embarrassing problem, right? They, it's mortifying for you, but they see that stuff all the time. Um, And the same can be said of definitely speaking to a debt charity. But also, you know, one of the things that I did with not going down that route was I did like a sort of rung around all of my lenders and just asked if there was anything that they could do for me. And a couple of them refunded charges, refunded interest, um, froze interest for a month or two. And they, you know, I that was five years ago, obviously. I don't know what things are like now. I think they do more now yeah. with the consumer juicy. But crucially, you've got to ask yes, for the help. You've got you to do. be brave enough to put your hand up and say, something has happened. I'm in a difficult situation. Mm. How can you help me before this becomes a bigger problem, yeah. affects my credit score? And it's worth when you make that call. What I did was I put together a list of things that I was doing to help myself. So I could, even just for my own cried talking <laughs> yeah I was able to say to them look this has become a problem uh I, this is what I'm doing but is there anything that you could do to help me to get that bounce back in the right direction and most of them said yes um that there was something that they could do and I think that help isn't there necessarily unless you ask for it but I, I would definitely recommend on that day Make sure that you've got some clear time, 
get yourself like a drink. Um, I'm just talking about like water or a cup of tea. Um, I wouldn't recommend uh, getting <laughs> drunk to make these calls. Um, but yeah, make sure you're there with a drink. Make sure you've got all of your login and security details in front of you so you're not flapping around for things. Have your list um, of things that you want to talk about. Write down what you would like the outcome to be. And also you can make yourself a little script if you want to, but just do everything that you can to take the like anxiety out of it, prepare for it. But I would also say, and this goes for any company that you speak to, if you are on the, if you try and do that and you're on the phone with someone who isn't understanding or isn't being kind to you, all you have to say, most you know, especially most banks, their call centres are massive. You would never get the same person twice. All you have to say is, I, I don't think that we're really understanding each other here. Um, I, I'm going to leave the call now. And you just put the phone down and call back and you you might get someone else who's not quite, doesn't take sort of a computer says no mm. uh, attitude. And sometimes it's about speaking to the right person. You know, really good, good points there. Let's move on to the feminist aspects of money and debt. Now, a staggering statistic, which is actually from the UK's Money Advice Service, is that nearly two-thirds of people in problem debt are women. Does that surprise you? Not in the slightest. I, I think that consumer debt is like really targeted towards women, to the point where the UK's biggest buy now, pay later brand is Millennial Pink. And women are in this sort of odd triple binds when it comes to money in that we're not set up well we're still there's still a gender pay gap we're still paid less we're infantilized when it comes to talking about money you know the first aspect of our triple bind is that we're not well equipped the second aspect is that we are just relentlessly targeted with stuff that we need to buy in order to be acceptable. The cost of visibility for women, you know, you're a woman with a public profile, so am I. The cost of being able to show up just in terms of how you have to present yourself in order to be listened to and taken seriously is much higher for women than it is for men. And then the the final knife in the back is that women are like held up as these profligate creatures who spend all of their money on shoes and handbags so uh, you know we are still like in a bit of a a pickle when it comes to money and I think potentially it's just a way for women to learn to manage their money and to be a financial success that doesn't necessarily like fit the pale stale male model. The other big problem of course is maternity leave and the cost of childcare. I mean, you found yourself the shock of being on maternity leave, of your income literally disappearing before mm-hmm. your eyes, and then having to plough all of your salary, in your case, into paying for the childcare. And lots of followers say that this was the start of their own descent into financial difficulties. For people listening who are parents or are thinking of becoming parents, what would your top tips be for them? So I would say... First of all, you need to arm yourself with all of the information about what you're entitled to. Lots of people underclaim, so for things like child benefit, 
help with childcare, there's tax-free childcare and obviously free hours. So arm yourself with all of that information. If you're an expectant parent, check out what your company's maternity policy is. If you're planning to have children in the future, but you're not pregnant yet and you're going for a new job, that's something that you can bring into your negotiations. Um, you know, especially if your company is not willing to go up on salary, you can push for a better maternity or parental leave package. I would say really embrace the pre-loved economy. Your children are in their clothes and play with their toys for such a short period of time. Um, and in actual fact, you need to spend very little on their clothing in rotation for the first couple of years. Get to know platforms like Vinted. Look at what brands are bought and sold. You know, there's an, an amazing amount of money exchanged on some brands of clothing, on some bits of baby kit things like Baby Bjorn, Bouncers, Ergo Baby Carriers, stuff like that. And that can really be your secret weapon that can reduce the costs of actually practically having children so, so much. All I would say, or, or you're hoping to be a parent or you're currently, you know, waiting for your baby to arrive, all I would say is that you do get through it somehow. You might be like quite stressed and quite worried some of the time, but um, you do get through it somehow. If you do have to rely on borrowing a bit there will be chances to make that up it's again it's not like a life sentence you know it, it's a great idea to try and be as prepared as you possibly can be well i think it's going to be a key election issue mm. definitely something that we'll keep focused on on money clinic we're sitting here in february talking about building better habits with money and of course New Year, New Year's resolutions. I'm conscious lots of listeners might have resolved to do something in January that maybe hasn't gone so well. What would you say to them? I mean, I would say that I started all of this on the 16th of March. <laughs> when you start is arbitrary and it's just about keeping going. If you've had a false start in January, it doesn't matter learn from it yeah absolutely just if anything it's giving you more information so have a look at what went wrong did you cut too deeply are there some changes you were hoping to make that you didn't quite make are you locked in some habits that are actually just making it really difficult for you to change your money management or your relationship with money um that you need to address first i think you can learn so much from a false start finally claire will you tell us about this year's financial challenge which you're calling my frugal year two what's facing you now we're due to remortgage this summer i'm obviously really kicking myself and not taking a five-year fixed rate as i think a lot of people are but that is potentially going to add a lot to our monthly outgoings i'm just trying to rebuild my income after maternity leave and so we're really just cutting back and being careful so we have a three-bedroom house and we have three children and we also live in a new build development where they are building some four-bed houses and so we thought we'll go and have a look around. When we got back I realised I was already worrying about how we were going to afford this four-bedroom house and we'd literally just gone to go and look around it and so in that moment, it was just a, a really clear no. There's a whole expense of a house move and also the yeah. logistical nightmare of it. Better for the kids to share a bedroom than have happy and financially stable parents. Absolutely. Even if you're trying to keep an eye on it, you do often fall victim to kind of lifestyle creep. And so 
my whole thing this year is like every decision that I make, I'm asking myself, does this simplify things or does it complicate them? Well, I completely agree with everything you said. Claire Seal, we wish you luck with your frugal year ahead. And thank you very much for talking to me today on Money Clinic. Thanks so much for having me, Claire. That's it for Money Clinic this week with me, Claire Barrett, and we hope you found this episode useful. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. We're always looking to chat with people about their money issues for the show, so if you're interested in being part of a future episode and are looking for some expert money advice, then email us, money at ft.com. You could also follow me on Instagram, I'm at Claire B, and Claire Seal, of course, is at my frugal year. Money Clinic was produced by Tamara Kamornik and Persis Love. Sound design was by Breen Turner, and our editor is Manuela Saragosa. You heard original tunes this week by Metaphor Music. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And finally... Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Finally, our usual disclaimer, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's all the small print for now. See you back here next week. Goodbye.